Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Reske. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Gospel Attic Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Greg Bryan, joined with my other co-host, Jim Reske. Jim and I are gospel addicts. And when we talk about that, what we mean is that the good news about Jesus not only brings us to know God for our salvation, but it's really the secret to growing in our relationship with the Lord. In other words, we don't come to Christ by grace and faith and then grow through works. So, um, Jim, I'm going to turn it, you know, talk, talk about that. What is it, what does it mean for you to be a gospel addict? Yeah. Sometimes when we talk about this, Craig, I do the shorthand of saying, Hey, it's just like being an addict. You know, you say, I just can't get enough, can't get enough of Jesus. So that's kind of the shorthand answer, but you know, as we, we talked before, and if I, uh, if I'm giving someone like the long form view of my testimony, how my, my Christian life and how I came to Christ, I would, uh, I would say, or the short form version of that in a nutshell, I grew up a, as a Christian and I thought I knew what the gospel was, but I really didn't. And I saw it like you were just describing. I saw it as like, well, God, the gospel starts me off in the Christian life, but the rest is up to me. And then I don't think I really understood the gospel until I was in my 30s. And then when it really got me and I started, started to get a glimpse of what it really was, then it, everything changed. And from then on, I just... I just couldn't stop telling people about Jesus. And so that's what I think of. I think I'd be the gospel addict. Like it's such incredibly good news. And I was a Christian all my life. And I thought, I thought I knew what it was and I didn't. And so, um, so yeah, no, and now I'm a, I'm a proud gospel addict. So we talk about this because we both experience it. It's so easy to fall into legalism yeah, or license like right. legalism where, um, you know, you're a, you're a believer, you're a true believer in Jesus, but then you fall into this trap of like, I have to do all these things. I have to have this checklist or else I'm not a good Christian. And, um, talk about like, you know, Jim, your experience, like, you know, how at times it was just so hard. You just want to give up. Like, oh. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. So that, and, I, and you've heard me say this before, but we talked about it many times, Greg, I felt like, Every time I was in a Christian setting, whether it was church or a Bible study or whatever it was, it was always more, more, more. Every time I was taking notes, and I should be, I hear talk on prayer and I'd say, you're right, you're right, you're right. I should be praying more. I'm not praying enough. You're right. And then I hear talk about the you know, devotional life. You're right. You're right. I should do that more and more. And I'm not doing enough. You're right. And it was always more. It was never less. And it was, I felt like God starts me off. I'm saved by faith. Absolutely. And now the rest is up to and the whole, the rest is up to me. And it's all based on my hard work and effort. And it was dry. I, the phrase I was using, it was dry as toast. And after a while, we, my, you know, my wife and I felt like we're still Christians. We still believe it. And we just wouldn't recommend it to anybody because it's just too hard. And, it, and, and if you're trying to accomplish a Christian life in your flesh, it is too hard. It's not designed to be that way. It'll come out tonight. When we talk about our tonight's topic. 
but it was never designed to be that way. And it, it's a it's a misinterpretation to try to live the Christian life that way and say, you know, my sanctification, my Christian progress in my life is all on my shoulders. It's my hard work and effort. You can't bury that. You can't carry that burden. You'll never make it. And so, and I think people have a misconception. They try to, and then they say, ah, forget it. I can't do it and give up. So we started this podcast because you and I have both experienced this. And we realized that we think this is an issue with a lot of believers. Right. Like it's a very um, common experience for Christians because the default setting of the human heart is basically towards self-justification. We're right. always trying to justify ourselves. Always. So even, even if we're in a church that teaches the gospel, our hearts automatically want to go towards self-justification or outside-in growth. Like, if I do more, then God will love me more, or God will accept me, or I'm, you know. And so um, we just feel like this is a huge issue. Um, a lot of churches get the gospel correct, you know, that it's it's the good news of the, what Jesus has done for us, and it's a free gift offered right. to everybody, the forgiveness of their sins. Well, and then they go on to preach a sermon about, now that you know that, here's the 10 steps you need to do to be a good Christian. So get cracking. <laughs> right. And it's very easy for churches to teach, like, the spiritual disciplines, but right. if it's not gospel-driven then you can easily fall into legalism or just performance-based spiritual growth. Or so we feel we feel very strongly that this is a message that needs to get out there. And we call this gospel-driven sanctification. That's right. And we believe it's biblical because um, in 2 Peter 3.18, Peter says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says, May I never, or, or um, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's, it's the power of God. Yeah. The Apostle Paul also said in Galatians, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is like such a powerful um, message that we... Our hope and prayer is that some of you listening, uh, maybe this is the first time you've you've thought of this, that you didn't even realize that you've been, you've kind of fallen into kind of works-based sanctification. And so we hope to kind of set you free from that. Yeah. And 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 to complete the thought you're saying before, it's you either go to legalism or license, right? Those are the, the illustration you you share with me before there's like the two thieves on the sides of the cross that steal away the gospel message right so either you say well jesus died for me but legalism i've got to complete that work which is a way of, it's a form of self-justification or jesus died for me therefore i can do anything i want license nothing matters and that's also another way of saying i'm my own savior i can justify myself they're both self-salvation projects that's why it's so hard to like when jesus says do you trust in me put your trust in me it's hard you say i'm going to abandon my self-salvation projects I'm not going to look to any of those things to justify my life. I am trusting, I am trusting the Lord Jesus, trusting only thee, right? Putting my trust in Jesus for my justification for my life. And it's hard. It's, I think it's, 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 it's harder than it looks to, 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 to the mindset to accept that free gift. Cause you're right. The default setting is always to go back to some kind of self-salvation project. 
It's true. So tonight we're going to dive into John chapter 15 and Jim, tell, tell our listeners like, uh, why are we looking at John chapter 15? So Greg and I both speak and we're uh, part of the leadership team of a uh, Bible study. Um, it, we have like 120 guys come uh, and we uh, have about seven leaders and we kind of get take turns to kind of speak going through the Bible in, in two years. Um, and uh, and we have different pastors to talk about. So one thing we try to do here is we say, hey, your pastor is going to be uh, this in a couple of weeks. And for me, I'm going to speak in a couple of weeks on John 14 through 17. And so what we start to do in these podcasts is we get together and talk about it the way we did before we did the podcast, right? We just got to call and say, what do you think about this? I don't know. What do you think about this? This doesn't make any sense to me. Like, well, I thought about this. I heard this once. And we have those conversations about it. It's not, the podcast is not meant to be the, the polished teaching. We'll take the teaching where it is, and they're never that polished, by the way, but we'll take the teaching later when it comes and turn that into like, break it up into a couple podcasts so come back later if you and you'll hear it kind of but this is this is the raw material this is us kind of struggling with it the way you would do if you're if you're sitting there in your own devotion or with a friend reading the bible and trying to understand it and, and pray that the holy spirit illuminates it to you as you read it and brings these things to your mind and, 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 and teaches you about what it means so that's what we're doing in the podcast and that's what we'll do tonight and tonight we'll do we'll be doing john 15 yeah so let's Let's jump in. Let's jump into John 15. So I think we'll just take this a couple verses at a time. Um, so I'll go ahead and start reading. Let's let's read the first section. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples right before he gets arrested and eventually um, he ends up going to the cross. Um, so these are some of his final words to his disciples. And the disciples are kind of scared. Um, they're they're they don't know what's what's what exactly is going on, but these are important words and some of the best, some of the most um, powerful and comforting words in Scripture. Actually, yeah. You want to so read John chapter fifteen? I'm reading from the NIV version. Jesus said, "I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit." While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I, and I also, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." So let's, let's stop there. Yes. Yeah. So Jim, what are some of your initial thoughts here? Well, it, so like I think you're saying this, these are some of those beautiful words of the Bible, right? The, the notion, the notion as a Christian of abiding in Christ. And so on our last podcast, we talked about John 14 and how about so much of that is relationship, right? Relationship with him, you know, and that kind of sets up John 15 and Jesus is, you know, Philip is saying, show us the father and Jesus. Says, Have you been with me this long? You don't know me. 
So that's all about knowing me. And now we're getting moving on beyond that to John 15, we're abiding in him, right? And I told you, Craig, the first thing that really struck me tonight as you're reading it, I mean, I love these first two first two verses, right? I am the true vine. My father is a gardener. Um, you get a sense of there's different characters in this play. There's different roles. There's the vine, there's the gardener, right? The father cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it'd be more fruitful. There's a whole pruning thing to talk about. But it's verse three that struck me, right? As you're reading it, it seems so gospel driven because it seems like it doesn't even belong here. He's talking about the vine. They got a gardener. I got pruning. And it go to right four. It says, remain in me. You can't bear fruit on your own. You got to remain in the vine. It's all this vine analogy. But right in the middle of this paragraph, it's so beautiful. There's verse three that says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Doesn't that jump off the page? It's not, it's almost like it's not supposed to be there because it's all about a vine, an organic gardening metaphor. And then somebody's going to a clean, dirty metaphor, right? Right in the middle. Like you've got to remain in me. You've got to bear fruit. There's a, there's a someone's going to come. He's a vine dresser. He's pruning all, all this stuff. Right in smack in the middle, you are already clean. And you're clean because of the word I've spoken to. And that's pure gospel. Right, yes. isn't it? Don't you, you know, you know, I'm going, don't you? Right. Yes. Right. All everything you're doing is all in response to what I've, he's already done for us. And he, in the middle of it, he has to remind you that, so you don't say, "Oh, I get it, I get it, I get it. I got to do all this stuff. I got to right. Okay, I'll, I'll work on it. I got to make myself clean. Right. If I want to be clean, I better, I better connect to the branch. I, right? I got to right? clean up my act. I got to clean up my right. <laughs> And right, so right not in the middle, not before, not after, right in the middle, Jesus says, okay, you're going to get this wrong. Let me give you a reminder. You are already clean. You're saved. Not because you're abiding in me or you're getting pruned by the Father. You're going through that's a whole other concept. You're remaining. The, you are already clean. because of the, Not because of what you've done. You're clean because of the word I've spoken to you. That's I, great stuff, man. I know. And I, I don't think I... This is why we do this podcast this way, because I don't think it struck me before we were reading it tonight. Like, bang, right there in the middle of the first paragraph. Yeah, it's one of those verses that if it if if it it does, it seems out of place. Right. It right. seems out of place at first, but then if you if you understand what it's there for, um, it's it's pretty powerful. You know, one yeah. of the things that it strikes me is like, well, verse two, um, but before yes. I get to verse two. The idea that, you know, um, he, he's the vine, the father's the gardener, we're the branches. Right. We're essentially twigs. That's right. <laughs> we're just twigs. That's right. Which is kind of a humbling thought, like, That's you know, because right. we like to think of ourselves a little higher than that. <laughs> But, don't overstate your importance you're just a twig and it, we're just twigs we're just twigs and then in verse two it says he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit and every branch that bears fruit he prunes and so that just reminds me that when we're not bearing fruit you know there's discipline that comes yeah. which is painful right. but when we're bearing fruit there's pruning that comes to make us even more fruitful and that's right. painful that's right and so it's like we, you know, and I, I guess I kind of compare, I would, I would um, say these are like trials. Mm -hmm. um, the one is like, the one is like discipline. 
Like when we start straying away from God, God will lovingly discipline us. Right. But he also brings trials into our lives. Maybe when things are going well and when we're being fruitful with the purpose of making us more fruitful. Yeah, that's right. So that's our real promise, right? You you think, and and that's not human nature. You say, God, everything's going well. And if calamity comes to your life and you say, I'm walking with you, God, how could this happen? You have a really earthly kind of metaphor for looking at a worldly metaphor. You're thinking, I've done these good things. I should get rewarded for it. And this is when things go well, you're going to get pruned. And during those two times, whether it's whether it's discipline or trials, we need to remember that we're clean already. Amen. That, that you know, God's God accepts us and loves us the same as, um, you know, his love for us never changed. That's right. That's right. Um, so then, you know, this whole idea of remain in me. Think about this. How many people like abide in Christ? Like, you know, it's basically abide in Christ or stay with Christ, remain with Christ. How many people, Jim, are abiding in their church or abiding in their pastor or abiding in um something other than Jesus? Right. Like they're looking for life. They're trying to they're trying to find life, you know, in something else. Yeah. And sometimes it's good things. Like this, this whole idea of like, remain in me like this, this is a huge, huge um, reminder to the disciples. Don't try to find your life outside of me. Well, yeah. So honestly, I I, got to give a a shout out here because my wife and I talk about this all the time. It's one of the major themes, I think, of her Christian life, this idea of abiding in Christ, just abiding. And part of it is if you feel like as a Christian, so like, look, you're a full-time Christian work. And if you feel this pr- pressure to produce fruit, you're supposed to show, and if you're a pastor of a church, people always say, well, how many people are coming to church? And I know, by the way, I started this Bible study, or the, the start of this podcast, I mentioned how many people are coming to Bible study. So I threw out a number, right? Um, but I think when you're full-time ministry, you get that kind of pressure of that, like, you're supposed to produce these numbers, it's supposed to be bearing fruit, it's supposed to be growing. Whatever ministry is, it's supposed to be a growing ministry, a thriving ministry. But the command is not, look at these verses. There's not a command to go out and bear fruit. Like there's not a there's no command. And by the way, you're supposed to squeeze out fruit. The command is abide in me. The command is remain in me. You're supposed to be connected to him, drawing your life blood from him, drawing your life right from right right from him. And then you, that's how you're going to produce fruit. But you're what you're what you're supposed to be really doing is abiding in him. And sometimes it's like and I and my wife and I talk about this a lot. Um, in the Christian life, it's just enough to abide in him, just to be close to him, just to dwell in him and be connected to him. That's what he really wants, right? Yeah, uh, but it, it's it, and it sounds so easy, but it's it's not. It's like a it's like a daily moment by moment decision. Yeah, right. You right, know, right. But you're right. You're right. I mean, there is tons of pressure when you're in ministry to to produce fruit. And um, but I can't produce it like, you know, only God can produce the fruit. Well, that's right. You said like you said, the, the my job is to abide in Jesus and that's to follow right. him. And um, sometimes, um, especially people in full time ministry, we we fall into the success syndrome where 
we have to be feel successful and so everything has to be bigger and better and but the, the guys the older i get the more i admire the guys that just remain faithful that's right and i think the the whole idea of abiding a lot of it it, it is it, it's a faithfulness it's 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 a, a faithful dependence on god um and you could look at like verse seven you were reading earlier if you remain in me that faithful dependence on god right just remain in me and my words remain in you i mean this so this is the notion of this is what you're just soaking up god's word getting into your life just dwelling on it just you know um you, you you can't remain in him without just soaking up his word and and having it just fill your life right and that's kind of one of the main ways in which you remain in him is is uh, is just taking in his word every way you can hmm. that's great i love verse five you know the second part of it apart from me you can do nothing right boy i think that i think again that's a that's a huge message uh, for so many Christians, because I think it, we think we can do a lot of things apart from, from God. Yeah. Um, especially American, you know, American Christians, because we're so independent, we're so self-sufficient, we're so self-centered. Um, right. I mean, that that's that's really challenging to hear apart from me you can do nothing right apart from abiding in christ you can accomplish nothing that will last for eternity no lasting spiritual fruit you can do things but um but this is a whole different metaphor for the christian life it's this is not a rack up your spiritual accomplishments which every other religion would be right you know make sure you do all these things to achieve whatever the religion wants you for this is just you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I said, uh, I, I don't want to get out of, uh, out of uh, speak out of turn about other religions that I don't know everything about, right? I'm just wondering if you could, could you hear Buddha saying the point of Buddhism is to be connected to the Buddha, to be really personally remain in him, like have a deep personal relationship with him. Other religions don't offer you that. They just say, here's the here's the teachings, here's the precepts, here's the pot, the philosophy. Go do these things. Christianity is. Mm. Oh, utterly different. It's not like he's he, he, this, and that's why John 15 is so key. You say it's not about your spiritual accomplishments. It is about me. It's a relationship, not a religion. It is, and, and that whole life we say it all the time. Christianity is not a religion; it's a relationship. I think John 15 is kind of the core of that message, right? Because it says, "What I, you know, what I want from you, abide in me, be connected to the vine." That's the so the life the flow of the vine is going to flow through you. And then all these other metaphors, like, and if you're not, you're going to be, you're dying off. It's spiritual death to be disconnected from the vine. You're going to be connected to me and abide in me. That's the whole point of the Christian life is connection with Jesus, relationship, not religion. That's so true. I love verse eight too. This is to my father's glory. You bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Right. Um, you know, um, your life will, if you, as you're abiding in Christ, you will, you know, there will be spiritual fruit, but right. I think it's different than the spirit, the fruit that we are expecting, you know? Also, um, well, I don't think it's necessarily quantity numbers. It's, it might be quality. Like I think about um, some of the men who have invested in my life 
um, who I would say, you know, have mentored me and discipled me. One of them is your father-in-law. Oh yeah. But another, uh, I won't speak of him right now, but he's along these lines as well. Um, um, I have a longtime friend, uh, KP, who led my older brother to the Lord and um, started investing me as an as a non-believer. But he was a pastor of a tiny, tiny church. I mean, he probably had less than 50 people ever attend his church. I never, ever attended his church, but he would drive an hour and 15 minutes one way to spend an hour with me wow. um, to mentor me to pray with me, to encourage me. And he's he's done that throughout my whole spiritual life. He's like a, a spiritual father to me wow. um, because of how he invested in me. And yet, you know, like I said, I never went to his church. I never, you know, it, his motive was never to bring me into his congregation or, um, and he had very difficult, like his, you know, his his church jobs were like difficult you know congregations you know um so anyway just to, just to just to say um and and i think your your father-in-law has done the same thing i mean he would you know uh the amount of time he spent with me um just to encourage me um as a young um you know, full-time worker. It was just amazing. And uh, I'm just so grateful. But th that's the kind of fruit that, like, it's not the kind of fruit that you would see on a Sunday morning, like, or that makes the newspapers or, you know, it makes headlines. It's, it's, but God sees it. God yes. knows that God knows the difference. You know, some, some people bear a ton of fruit, but you would never, ever know it. Like, um, like your father-in-law, for example, you, you walk, if you walk by him in a Walmart, you wouldn't think anything, he, he doesn't stand out as like some spiritual giant, but, but I I'm telling you, he is, a you know, God has used him in a mighty way in many, many people's lives, um, like mine. And he's impacted hundreds and hundreds of people's lives. I mean, you saw it on his, what was it? His 90th birthday yeah. or was it his 80th or? 90th just we had just had his 90th yeah birthday. the 90th birthday all the people that came there and shared testimonies about the impact he's made on their lives yeah that to me is an example of like bearing much fruit yeah and so we uh, we didn't define fruit when we first started maybe you think about that um because you, you, you're right when i see that my father-in-law that that fruit he's had is that just the impact on people's lives right it's not just converts to Christianity. It's also just helping people grow the way KP helped you grow. But when you yes. talk about it, it's not always obvious. I would add my my mother-in-law who passed away, recently passed away. She was um, quieter and in the background, but her life bore all kinds of fruit as well because she was quietly ministering to people. And a lot of people were my father-in-law. So people were like, they'd gather around him and talk about it. But she had this... Her life produced abundant fruit as well in a much more quieter, quiet way. In a, a that way that is so true. Yeah. And 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 honestly, I, I think that's the, the legacy is we think about we think about abiding in Christ is like the way they did it, you know? Yeah. It's just, um, I don't know if I told you the story. I met my father long before I met my wife, but before I met his daughter. No, I didn't know that. Summit at a, at a 
at a Christian gathering and he was a spiritual leader then. And I was a new, new Christian. And I remember asking him, you know, how do I, it was actually, I'm, that's all kinds of bearing fruit. Like, how can I be effective for Christ? And how can I, um, you know, uh, have a life that really matters for the Lord. And, and he, uh, I, I, and all these years later, I, th I think I was in my, probably my mid to late teens at the time. Again, years before I met his daughter that I would eventually marry. I still remember his advice, which was, you've got your whole life, the ministry of your life has to be an overflow of your life in Christ. Ministry is an overflow of your walk with God. Yes. Which of means, your abiding in Christ. Of your abiding in Christ. You need to, it's exactly John 15. You the need more, to the more you abide in Christ, the more the fruit is going to come. Because if you think about it, if we're twigs, like yeah. we can't just, we're not, we don't, we're not just there as twigs trying to push, push the fruit out. Like, you know, force, you know, we can't force the fruit. Right. We just, we just have to abide and let, let God, God bring the fruit. And I definitely would testify that anything good that's happened in my life is a result of, is because of Jesus. Well, apart from him, you can do nothing. So let's read the next paragraph. You want to read yeah. that starting sure. verse nine? Starting verse nine, and I'm also in the NIV tonight. Uh, John 15, verse nine. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Man. I love it. So, so much. There's yeah, so, so much. much there. There's so <laughs> much. What hits you first, Greg? What hits you? So much great. I mean, uh, there's there's so, so much in here. Um, I, I love, uh, you know, verse 11. Mm-hmm. Like, he's like, what, you know, what's your motive? Why are you, you know, the disciples might be thinking, why are you telling us this? Why are you, what are you, what are you talking about? Why are you going on about this abiding? He's like, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Right. Boy, that's, I mean, God wants to bring joy into our lives. That is just such a wonderful um, thing to think about and how, he really wants the best for us. Yeah. He it's he amazing. loves us so much. And the joy that he experiences in the Godhead, the, tr the, the Trinity, the Father loving the Son and the Son loving the Spirit and the Spirit loving the Father, and how they kind of like dance around and, and serve each other and love each other. And, and, and you can just imagine how much joy and love, that's what he wants us to experience. And so... There is, you know, and then he talks about friendship here, which is which is pretty cool. Before we get to friendships, that is really cool. Just as I'm reflecting on the verses you just mentioned, think about I was just reflecting on the way I was sharing my testimony earlier in the podcast tonight and how in the first part of my life, I thought I was, you know, 
the latest gospel addicts, right? The contrast before that, I was thinking the gospel starts me off and the rest is up to my hard work and effort. And if I would have read verse 10 at that time, in fact, I did read verse 10 at that time. See, if you keep my commands, you remain in my love. But just as I kept my father's commands, you remain in my love. Well, there you go. So you got to do stuff, right? You can't just, you know, abide. You got to do stuff. You got to keep the commands. So let's get cracking. You got to hope you know, grit your teeth and through hard work and effort, you are going to sanctify yourself, make yourself holy, make yourself a good Christian, perform for Christ, right? Um, and the result of that, as I was saying before, was dry as toast. It was like burnout. It, it was just, it was, it was joyless. And the next verse here, verse 11, I, the reason I told you this, keep my commands, so that my joy may be, your joy may be complete. It's the complete polar opposite of the way I read it before, which was keep these commands. And even though there's no joy in it, even though it's, you know, you're grinding it out every day, just what you got to do to be a good Christian. So go ahead and start going, get going. And it's just it's like, that's, and, and the misunderstanding I have is this idea of what, is, what are his commands? Because I read the commands thing and think of well, all the rules. You got to follow all the rules and be a good Christian, right? That's spiritual performance. And then verse 12 brings it out. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. And you know, Greg, I should have known it because when I was a kid in, in Sunday school, we used to sing that song. Yeah, this is my commandment that you love one another, that your joy may be full. Little little Sunday school song. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and like this is my I don't want to sing it now. No one wants to hear that. But it, but that notion of like that is the command. I want the command is I want to build this incredible spiritual community. I want you to abide in me, so we are close, and then I want you to be close with each other and be part of this community. My command is love each other, build the my church, my spiritual community. So that you're filled, you're filled with joy, right? And 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 that's the command. And I I just didn't read it that way. I had this other paradigm of spiritual performance, and I would hear the word command, and instantly think of the Ten Commandments, and that's I got to keep the rules and do stuff to be a good Christian. And he said, "Let me tell you what my command is. This is my commandment that you love one another, that your joy may be full." Right? Anyway, mm -hmm. I just. Total contrast to what I used to, the way I used to read it. That's great. And you know, this phrase, as the father loved me, I have loved you. Think about this for a second. You know, the father loved the son. Yeah. The father's love for the son, it had no beginning. It it had, it has no end. It It's close and personal. It's without measure and it's unchanging. I mean, that's the kind of love Amazing. we all long for, isn't it? Well, I had never thought about before that. You're reading the first part of verse nine. So what he's saying is the kind of love that the father and I have as two members of the Trinity for each other. I mean, think about all the, the metaphors for love you might think of on earth, a mother's love for a child, right? The strongest kind of loves you can think of. And we're talking about the heart of the Godhead. He's saying that the way, the way I love one of the other members of the Trinity, that is the way I love you. Yeah. And it's a love that has no beginning and it wow. has no end. Yeah. It's, wow. I never saw that before, Greg. It's close and personal. It's without measure and it's unchanging. Wow. I mean, that's that's the kind of love we all long for, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And look, and if you don't find it in Christ, you look for it everywhere else your whole life. Right. Yeah. Oh, but no. this is what sets this is what sets the Christian, you know, the the um, the God of the Bible um, apart from let's say the God of Islam. Yeah. They, you know, the God of Islam, um, we believe in a triune God, 
where there was this love relationship within the Godhead himself. So love was something that has always existed. That's why we can say God is love, right. where the, the Muslim view of God is that, you know, love was created by God. Right. A unitary God. Any any religion with a unitary God is going to say that God is alone. Uh, and and at some point that God chose to create something called love. But it's not part and parcel to the identity of who God is, other than the Christian triune God, where love, like you said, is at the center of the Trinity, which means love is the, the heart of ultimate reality is love. God is love. As a young Christian, did you ever wrestle with the whole idea that, that God said, love me, worship me? Like, isn't it kind of self-centered for God to, to command us to worship him? Yes. I yeah. think it's if you don't understand the Trinity, it is. It kind of is self-centered for God to say, worship me. There's an old movie. Um, I think I told you the story once before, uh, but it's an old movie with Dudley Moore. I think it's called Bewitched. It's like from 1967. And he meets the devil. And I won't say the whole, it's just a, a campy movie from the late 60s. And there's a scene in which the devil, they're walking down the street in London, and Dudley Moore says, uh, so why did you fall away anyway? And the devil says, here, I'll show you. He jumps on top of a mailbox, and he says, go ahead and worship me. And he says, well, all right, okay. And he starts, he says, okay, he starts dancing around around this mailbox while he's sitting on top of a mailbox in, in, on London, in London. And he says, okay, you're kind, you're wise, you're beautiful, you're great, you're so great, okay, you're beautiful, you're kind. He says, hey, this is getting boring. When's it going to be my turn? exactly says the devil <laughs> that's what i said <laughs> and that's but, but it's exactly the image you just said we feel like it's okay i'll worship you it's you, you it's your command but come on right you know and this is the point of the gospel it changes everything right worship isn't for his benefit it's for our benefit he is beautiful he is why he's we're just you don't understand it we're just out of touch with that reality worship brings us closer in touch with that reality it's totally for our benefit. He doesn't need a reminder that he's great. We don't need to sing great as I faithless to remind him. He knows. It's to get my heart and my mind in touch with that reality of how wonderful he is. It's all for our benefit. Yeah, and That's it has to do with that, that you know, that verse about the joy. He wants yeah. us to experience his joy. The joy that he he has in the, in the, in the Trinity, he wants us to experience that. That's the offer. That and so not, that ties into, and then he also, Jesus makes this profound statement about, you know, greater love has this, uh, has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Yes. And he's saying that knowing that in a few hours, he's going to the cross. Right. Um, to, to pay for the sins of his friends. And then he, he says, you are my friends. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about, so friendship is a the theme here. So what, what are your thoughts on that? I know you're doing some research on that, but well, not, we, we live in a, we live in a world, especially among men. It's, you know, the statistics show that a lot of men struggle with friendships. Well, that is true. And I just saw some article I'm going to bring up when I talk about this a couple of weeks, how it's actually gotten worse in the last 20 years. There are more and more men um, are saying, well, I don't have any personal friends at all. And you can blame social media um, or, or people spending too much time looking at screens or whatever the cause is. But statistically, if you look at the number of, if you just survey men 20, 30 years ago, how many close friends do you have? And you do the same kind of survey questions today, it's gotten worse. And there's so many men who just like, you know, 
get to a certain age, they don't know how to make friends, they don't know how to keep friendships, you sustain relationships or sustain friendships. And the but I think the, the amazing thing here is that God is saying friendship is a core part of the Christian religion. Mm. It's not if you think about all these other religions, you say obedience is a key part of the religion, you know, um working towards the precepts of the religion and climbing that that stairway to heaven, that ladder. But in Christianity saying, you, you know, one of the one of the major reasons but the reason I'm going to die is because you're my friends <laughs> and you can have friendship with each other and you can have that kind of bond and fellowship. You can invite me, the first part of John 15, now the middle of John 15, friends, you can have fellowship with each other and fellowship with me and you're my friend. I mean, that whole concept of friendship and by, and, and it comes from what you were saying. It's all based on the Trinity. The whole idea that we even have something called friends and, and earth relationship is all a reflection of the, the fact that we're made in his image. The fact that it all started with their friendship with each other, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? That's what makes friendship even possible. So, and you I, know, it makes so much sense. Like, as I think about the the you know the Christian worldview, the idea is that our God is a relational God, right? You know, He was our God is a community in and of Himself, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, a community, a perfect loving community. And so when he made us, he made us for relationships. Right. Right. And and the ultimate relationship is to have a relationship with him. And so he comes down, that relationship was broken. And so he comes down and actually becomes one of us, like to bring us back into relationship with him. It's 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 most uh powerful story of redemption you could you could ever think of. Oh, it's unbelievable. And I think that you think about references to friendship in the Old Testament, like when God said, God talked to Moses as a man speaks to his friend, right? That kind of intimacy. And you could have read that in the Old Testament and say, well, that was one special guy that had that offer, no one else. I mean, God created one individual like Moses, you know, and then you have great patriarchs of the faith, Abraham and David, those people had that kind of offer to be that close to God, right? The Bible says David was a man for God's own heart. But rank and file Christians like you and me, or you know, people followers of God, like we never have a chance to do it. But this passage says the exact opposite: you are my friends. I don't call you servants anymore; I call you friends. What's on offer for us in Christianity is to have that kind of intimacy with Him and friendship with Him, and then friendship with each other. It's yeah. it's pretty incredible. I think it's pretty unique among religions. It's, they say there's a there's a role of friendship in the Christian life. Oh, and and, and one more thing, uh, I think. Um, uh, I, I, Tim Keller has some of us pointed this out. Almost all of us come to Christ through friends. Yeah. Right? You talk about KP a minute ago. You're saying he's a, he befriended you. He drove an hour and 15 minutes to come and meet with you. I mean, some of us, you know, we grew up in a Christian home. We hear from our parents. That's great. You go to a church, you hear from a pastor. But I think so many people become Christians because someone said, hey, I know Jesus and I want you to know him too. It's friendship, Right. And then we, and if he didn't, he'd say, but you grow in Christ through friends. You get together and you study the word and, right? And friendship is a massive role in the Christian life. Absolutely. That is so true. There's so much. um, And I think this theme of friendship kind of carries on through a couple of these chapters. But I like verse 16, though, too. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you may go bear fruit, fruit that will last. Um, just the idea that 
so often we th when we look at our spiritual journey, we think about this is the time I came to know Jesus. This is when I chose Jesus. But the longer you walk with God, the, the more you look back and you see that um, you had very little to do with becoming a Christian or coming to know Jesus. God uh, was, God was, let's put it this way. God was chasing me along, you know, he was seeking me out before I was seeking him. Right. And I think and, if you could, you say, you, if you say, but I, I, I responded to that. I made a response and I, I chose him back all well and good, but you don't get any credit for that in the Christian life. The credit's all him. That's 100%. True. 100% and zero. He did everything. Right. Yeah. Right? That's, right. So, that's so great. And then verse 17, this is my command, love each other. Think right. about the disciples and how they were from all these different backgrounds and how, you know, some were fishermen, some were, you know, they, they must have, it must have been challenging at times. Well, we know that, you know, they, they talked about who's the greatest and they, you know, um, just this reminder that to love each other um, is, is pretty powerful. Well, let's, let's, um let's read the rest of this chapter. Yeah. Um, so I'll pick up in verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had if I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in the law. They hated me without reason. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Okay, so it's a little interesting uh, ending here. Right. It takes a real serious, like a pretty dark turn, right? Um. The first part of uh, John 15 is about, you know, abiding in me, being the, I'm the vine, you're the branches. The middle is your fellowship with each other, your friendship with me, your friendship with each other, love each other. And now, little dose of reality, the world hates you. The world has yeah. done it. And this is, like you, know, you said, like 24 hours before his death, Jesus probably, there was, some of them were probably still thinking, okay, this is the big, the big reveal, the big event where you take over power and you become the political savior of the world and you sit on the throne and they kick the Romans out of Israel. It's going to be great, right? And you think about his kind of last message when he says, launching from verse 17, this is my command, love each other. But by the way, it's going to be real tough going from here. Yeah. It's I mean, not, yeah. Right? Just, yeah. This, this is, that is, that is so true. Right. Dose reality. You know, and the, and don't be surprised by it. You know, um, honestly, it's it. To be honest, Rick, it still does surprise me because I think the offer of Christianity is so stunning. 
it's, you know, that he says, you know, nothing else in life says you can have all your sins washed away. You don't have to perform to self-justify yourself. Self, Self-justification is so wearying. That burden can be completely lifted off your shoulders. Just take the offer, right? Take the offer. Someone says, I will justify you completely. And now you are already clean at verse three, right? You're already clean. I can make you completely clean. Like, I love what you said that time. I think, and I know you heard it from someone else. Every other religion is due. Every other religion is due, but Christianity is done. It's all done. And now knowing yeah. that I can abide in him, I can have incredible peace. I can be his friend. I can have fellowship. And yet the world looks at that and says, I hate that. I yeah. hate it. it. It is kind of crazy to think that people hate Jesus or hate yeah. the gospel. Yeah. How could you hate it? It's such good news. Well, that back in John 3, is it that verse? We can flip to it, but it says, this is the message that has come. This is the message. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness more than the light because their deeds were evil. Hmm. Love the darkness more than the light, right? Yeah. And, you know, I think this this whole idea of the world hating us, it seems like it's... It seems like we're living in a time uh, where it's becoming more and more real. Yeah. Oh, uh, it feels like it. Yeah, I mean... Right. There's so much misunderstanding and judgment and um, yeah, it's just, it's, uh, it's crazy. But yeah, you wonder what was going through the disciples mind, you know, as they're listening to Jesus saying these words. Right. And like you said, he takes a sharp turn. Um, you know, he's talking about love and friendship and, yeah. <laughs> and choose yeah. how he chose them. And then all of a sudden he's like kind of a reality check. Hey, but you're living in a world that doesn't like you because you know, you're, you're going to see how the world is going to, it hate, it hates me. It's going right. to put me on the cross. Go ahead. What were you thinking? I just, I'm just thinking about it again. This is like, this is why we, it's a little bit this self-discovery. We pray the Holy Spirit guide us and think this, we read these things. But the, if you just read the first two thirds of this chapter, you might say, see, that's what I mean. Jesus wasn't, God or the Son of God. He's just a teacher of love and peace. Now, you really couldn't really read it that way because if you read it closely, he's saying, the Father loved me, so I loved you. And I mean, so he really is talking about, he's not going to be just some teacher of love and peace if you read it closely. But nevertheless, you could say, this is all wonderful. It's love and peace. And you see, what Jesus is saying is just teach me some principles to live by, some inspirational principles of love and peace. And I think Jesus is saying, but my message isn't that. When you come to Christ, you do have to say, I am a lost sinner, and I I have to abandon my self-salvation project. I can't save myself. I kind of put my entire trust in you. And people hate that message. I, like, I love the love and peace stuff. I can work on that. That's inspirational for me. But wait, anyway, you're saying I'm I am a completely lost sinner, and I have no hope of my own, and I have to actually put my trust in you alone and admit that I'm lost? Uh-uh. I'm not interested in that. You know, mm -hmm. and I I need a little help. You know, on a scale of nine to ten, one to ten, I'm I'm a I'm a seven or eight. I need Jesus for a little extra lift to get that last twenty percent, but I'm not a zero. And the gospel message says you're you're a complete zero. You have no merit, right? The verse you said, you did not choose me, I chose you. You didn't you don't get any credit for anything, right? Mm -hmm. in, in the gospel, and I think that the the offer is so great. But what it takes is someone to say, wake up and say, 
I can't put any trust in myself. It's all in you. And what's that? We said this before once that, 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 that him, nothing in my hands I bring, only to thy cross I cling. And the answer is, it, the problem is it's so hard to come with nothing in your hands. You always want some credit for something you've done, right? That's true. The world hates that. The world hates that. You call me, you call me a sinner? You're saying I'm a bad person? Is that what you're saying? You say I'm going to hell? Is that what you're saying? I mean, you probably heard that on campus when you're sharing Christ with people, right? The kind of hostile reaction to Christianity. Yep, I've heard I've had that reaction before for sure. Well, think about the disciples. They understood this because they were all persecuted and almost all of them died as martyrs. Yeah. They were willing to go to their death, so they knew the hatred of the world. And and they say that in our day and age, more people more Christians are martyred today than um you know, yeah. I forget what the statistic is, but it's something like more Christians have been martyred, you know, in this last year than have been martyred in the last, you know, 2000 years or something like that. Yeah. That it, it, there is a real hatred for towards, uh, towards uh, the gospel, which is, it is, it's, it's really hard to wrap your mind around that. Right. Um, but I love the end of the chapter. It talks yeah. about the Holy spirit. That's right. That he's basically saying, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, be gone, but I'm going to send the spirit of truth and he will testify about me. And uh, then you see in the book of Acts, like how God used these, these men um, filled with the Holy spirit to proclaim the gospel and were willing to be persecuted, suffer uh, harm even willing to die for their faith. It's pretty powerful. Well, and it, it can flip there with that verse in Acts that says people noticed that about them and said these are just ordinary men, but they noticed that they had been with Jesus, so they were just remaining in him. They were abiding in Christ. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode, and remember... On your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. See you next time.